The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, we are in a new series called uh, Reconstructing Faith. The idea behind this series, I guess, is a sense in which um, there's a lot of people currently in our particular time and in our age who would be doing something which is being called deconstruction. Deconstruction, essentially, is the taking apart of an idea, a practice, a tradition, a belief into smaller components in order to examine their foundation, their truthfulness, their usefulness, and impact. And so within the Christian world, there is this thing called Christian deconstruction. That is that there are lots and lots of people who have grown up, whether in the church or they've just grown up in sort of westernized Christendom, and are asking lots of questions about faith, about the Bible, about morality, about suffering. And so what ends up happening with many people that deconstruct is they actually end up leaving the faith. And so what we want to do is we want to say, hey, deconstruction can actually be a very good thing. It is good that we would explore and investigate and actually ask big, deep questions about things... And I'm going to hopefully show you today that I think the Bible assumes that this is what we would do. In fact, underneath deconstruction is, I believe, two main things, which is doubt. How do we know something is true? How do we know God is true? How do we know Jesus is true? How do we know that he's good? If he does exist, is he good? And there is disillusionment. I was taught this and I've experienced this. And now I'm disillusioned. And I believe that the Bible would actually say that is to be expected with every single person who comes to faith. That we would walk through and we would experience doubts. The Bible doesn't see doubt and disillusionment as things that are enemies of faith, but rather actually can be steps towards faith in God as we move towards asking questions. And so we are going to look at, over the next few weeks, some questions. We threw it out to you guys as to what are the big questions you're asking, what are the questions that maybe some of your friends are asking, Um, and then we want to see if we can try and uh, open up dialogue, even though it's going to be monologue, but dialogue uh, across our church community to ask big questions. And so we're going to look at things about the Bible. How is this book trustworthy? How do we know how it was put together? How can we uh, rely on this book which is thousands of years old with stories that are thousands of years old by people who are ancient people in ancient contexts, how can we trust it? What about suffering and evil in the world? How do we reconcile suffering? We're going to explore different things. I've kind of given a bunch of uh, I I guess I want to call them triggers for deconstruction. These will come up on the screen that I think are very, very common. One is the problem of evil of suffering, as I said. I think this is one of the most common questions that our culture is asking. And for those of us ourselves have asked, I remember when uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, I grew up in a secular home. And as I sort of was growing up in the middle of primary school, then my parents became Christians. And so I didn't actually believe until I was around about 1920. But from that time of being 1920, all the way till my 30s, that that whole sort of decade, um, I didn't really experience any difficulty at all. I didn't experience any suffering. But when I had a mental and emotional breakdown in 2014, I now started asking the question, is God good? 
because now I had a moment of suffering. I had a moment of difficulty. And so for, for a lot of us, particularly in the West, things actually go well for quite a while. We seem happy with our faith, but then we hit a block. We hit a moment. And it's like, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't seem fair. God doesn't seem good. And then we start to ask the questions. The question of problem of evil and suffering is common. There's church hurt, spiritual abuse, moral failure in leadership. Um, I don't know if you've realized, but in the last probably three or four years, I've never seen more spiritual Christian leaders fall. I don't know whether we're seeing more of it just because of the connectivity of the context in which we find ourselves with social media and Facebook, but there are leaders all over the world who claim to be Christians that are falling like crazy, losing marriages, stealing money, abusing people. And these things are causing people to ask questions how can I follow a God who they seem to represent when they treat people like that and do things like that? I think a lack of depth of spiritual uh, discipleship, cultural or experiential Christianity in which we kind of leave the home, like we're talking about with frogs, we kind of leave the comfort of growing up. Maybe many of us have grown up in a Christian home. We've been taught all the Christian things. Yep. You know, Noah, there was a worldwide flood, definitely two by two of animals on the ark. You're like, that's 100% true. Yep, creation, absolutely literal six-day, seven-day creation. And you find all these sort of stories, and then you leave the home, and you go and you experience all of these objections to Christianity, and you weren't ready for them. I know in, in my family, I certainly didn't get answers from my parents to big questions that I had, and it led me to not believe I eventually got answers, and now I believe. But my parents weren't giving them to me. They were just saying, just believe. And I was like, I don't think I can. Young person, I want to encourage you. At some point, you can't live on the coattails of mum and dad's faith anymore. You can't do that. You have to find out for yourself, did Jesus really live? Did he really die on a cross and resurrect? That's an important question for you to know so that you can build your faith on Christ and not on mum and dad. Now, a lot of Christians are growing up in the home and they're not asking these questions. And parents, we have to give our kids room and space to ask the questions and allow them room to doubt and to explore. And it's hard. Like My kids are between 12 and 5, and so I'm not at the stage yet where they're thinking for themselves other than trying to work out like the Trinity and like how does that make sense? Three equals one, like that's just bad math, Dad. Okay, other than that conversation, there's not a lot of deep questions going on yet, but my wife and I, we have to find a way to allow them to explore and ask their questions. And that's hard. I've had friends who have grown up in particular streams of church where they were told if you just believe and if you just give and if you just serve, happy life, then they lost the job. Or they lost a child, a good friend of mine lost a child and has now since abandoned the faith because he believed that if you followed God, nothing bad would happen to you. And it just wrecked his faith. Others, it's hypocrisy, it's legalism, it's blind faith. Uh, we live in an age, right, where we don't trust leaders. I don't know if you've noticed that in the last, I don't know, 18 months of a pandemic. <laughs> We're not sure who to believe. We don't know what the real motivations are behind all of these things, do we? And so we, we live in an age of constant distrust, and that's because we have grown up in an age where leadership 
is not worthy of trust. It keeps failing us. It keeps falling. And we keep hearing about the stories of what's going on really behind the scenes. We see the hypocrisy. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, I think Daniel Andrews from Victoria, I think he's been fined now three times for not wearing his mask. I find that hilarious. <laughs> just The irony is funny, right? Uh, there's a sense in which we, we don't know who to believe anymore, and we don't trust anyone. And in some ways, I think that's a good thing. Because I think the Bible would say there is only one who you can trust. Don't put your trust in institutions and governments. Don't put your trust in church leaders and spiritual fathers and heroes. Put your trust in the one who died for you and rose again for you and gave his entire life for you because that person is worthy of trust. And lastly, there are moral, ethical, scientific, historical conflicts dealing with an ancient text that is speaking or trying to speak to a modern context. How do we handle this book? What is this book? Aren't these ancient ideas? In a believe-in-yourself world, this book is telling us to deny ourselves and take up our cross. In a you-do-you world that expresses uh, individualism, authenticity, non-conformity, the Christian Bible is saying, no, no, conform and be like Jesus. Be under authority. In a consumeristic and greedy culture, Christianity and the Bible is calling us to costly generosity and willingness to give up material possessions. In a sexually progressive culture that sanctions pretty much everything and anything, as long as it's consensual, Christianity says, no, no, there are limits, there are boundaries, and these are for the good of human flourishing. And these things are causing us to ask big questions. And we want to be a church that says... Ask the questions. It's okay to ask the questions. Why? Well, I'm going to suggest that because we believe that this is true. And under all forms and series of scrutiny, it continues to stand. And therefore, this book and the stories in this book continue to invite people to come and ask their big questions. No matter what their background no matter what their history, no matter what their upbringing, come and ask the questions. The Bible is not against doubt. The Bible is not against disillusionment. So if you are here and you are not a Christian and you have big questions and there are doubts, we want this church to be a place where you can freely ask those and not feel condemned and not feel judged for asking the questions because most Christians are asking the exact same questions. If you're disillusioned, welcome to the family. As Christians, we are not all together. <laughs> we are not having our struggles. We are not having our wrestles. Um, I'm saying that wrong. We are. It appears like we're not. <laughs> we're perfect. Okay? No, we're not. We are going through our struggles um, being a pastor, often pe people think and just have this concept that you have it all together, that your marriage is perfect, you've, you've worked out all the questions, your kids, I mean, yes, on my Instagram, my kids are pretty much Jesus Christ himself, okay, but as I've said many times, they, they seem to be more on the other team, uh, in behind the scenes, you know what I mean, you see the highlight reel and it looks perfect, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're new, 
This church is filled with broken people who don't know everything and don't have it all together, but are seeking to explore the one who does and to follow him faithfully, fearlessly, because he has proven himself true and good. Now, if you don't believe me that the Bible uh, allows uh, sort of room for doubt and disillusionment, I want to give you a couple of examples. Number one is from Matthew 18. This will come up on the screen. This is Jesus. Okay, according to the text, uh, he has died, he has risen again, and now he's meeting with 11 of his faithful guys. These men have walked with him and been through everything with him. Uh, they have uh, seen the miracles, they've seen the teaching and heard the teaching, and then they've kind of seen that he's dead, and now they're encountering the fact that he has risen again, right? So it says this, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Look at this. But some... What's that word? Doubted. Now, if you were writing a story about like Jesus and your encounters with Jesus and stuff, wouldn't you kind of hide the fact that maybe you all didn't do so well? One of the great things that encouraged me to actually kind of be open more to this book was the fact that they keep putting in their bad stories. Uh, Peter is literally one of the main guys that is, is kind of next to the guy named Mark, and Mark's writing the history, and in there, like Mark's like, ah, so should we put in the part where you're like, you're the only person in human history that ever looked at Jesus and kind of went wrong? And then Jesus said, oh, you're the devil himself. Like, should we leave that out? Like, would you leave that out? And it goes in the book. Here are the disciples. These are the ones who basically their story is the one that gets told and written down in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yet they keep kind of inviting and opening up and saying, yeah, we doubted too. We doubted after seeing him physically resurrected. He's dead, Roman guards, Jewish authorities. And then all of a sudden, here he is back again. And they're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And they're looking at Jesus. They're seeing him again. And yet even they themselves are doubting. We know that there is a disciple named Thomas. Verse 24 of the book of John. In chapter 20 it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. Uh, we never hear about his twin brother. Can't wait to meet that guy. Sorry he didn't make it, fella. I don't know why. <laughs> there must be some jealousy going on there. Why not? I don't even get a mention. No, sorry, mate. Uh, Thomas, who had a brother. We don't know him. His name is Barney. No one knows who he is. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's my brother. Uh, was, not with, uh, was not with them when Jesus came. So the initial meeting with Jesus, Thomas isn't there. He doesn't get to see Jesus' resurrected body. He doesn't get to meet him, right? And so the other disciples told him, no, 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 we saw him. We saw him. And this is what Thomas says. Uh-uh. No way can I believe in that. Not unless I see his hands and the marks of the nails and, the, and place my finger into the marks of those nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. This is someone who has given up a lot to follow Jesus and he is doubting. He is not sure he can believe in Jesus. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas is with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus comes and stands among them. And he says, peace to you. And then he says to Thomas, hey, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. And listen to the language. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Thomas becomes convinced. Do you feel bad for Thomas? Like, we feel bad for Thomas's twin brother. He doesn't get a mention. But Thomas is known as Doubting Thomas. Like, this is what he's known for. Remember that moment? He didn't believe. And then Jesus kind of goes, Just believe. I love the story of Thomas. Because I didn't believe in the resurrection of Jesus either. And look what it says after this. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Right, Thomas, you get to believe because you get this moment right here where I stand before you physiologically in the flesh and show you the marks. But look what he says after this. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you know who that is? That's me and you. Thomas gets a moment that you and I don't get. But then John goes on to say why we're going to believe. Verse 30 says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Now next week we're going to look at why we can believe this book. And if this book is not trustworthy, faith is gone. There is no such thing as Christianity. It's simply a cult. But if it is true, it leads to life. I often say that if you read this book properly, you will be offended. This book will offend modern sensibilities. It will. Because it has offended every generation and every culture in human history. It's just each culture has a different sense of their sensibilities of what they think moral, ethically is right. But it offends everybody who reads it. Yet it also has the ability that if you read it correctly, it will give you life. It will change your life. And many of us in this room have had that experience where we have read this book and it has transformed us. Not because we understand everything, not because we're awesome people, but because if it is true, it is God speaking to people and when he speaks, he speaks life. Amen? So I want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your journey, come and join us for a few weeks. Come and hear as we try to do our best to explore some big things. But before we get to the next few weeks, I just want to leave you with five things that I think can help us to reconstruct our faith. you with me? Number one, acknowledge culture. Uh, If you've been in church for a while, uh, you've probably heard that um, you can't have one foot in, in the world and one foot in the church. Has anyone heard that thing? You kind of can't be, you can't, you've got you to pick a side. You can't fence sense, uh, you know. Um, there is a sense in which you can't avoid that. Every single one of us right now in this room, we live in two cultures. We live in a broad culture and we all live in a subculture. Every one of us. Most Christian deconstructing 
is just deconstructing one culture being the subculture, the evangelical church Christian world bubble thing, right? What we need to do if we're going to deconstruct, if we're going to allow ourselves to ask big questions, we have to do it for both cultures. So you and I, we live in a thing called the West. It is a culture. It is a broad culture. It has a worldview, and it is shouting things to us, teaching us things. From all the, the Disney movies to all the songs that we listen to, all the things that we get fed, it is giving us a worldview, right? And so every single one of us, you cannot avoid that. But then all of us are also in a subculture. Some of us are in the Christian subculture. Some of us are in the forward drive subculture. Some of us are in like the Bronco subculture. We live in all sorts of cultures. For those of you in the Bronco subculture, we're praying for you. We really are. We will encourage you to leave there and maybe try the AFL culture and come to the Brisbane Lions subculture because maybe there's some joy there for you. So most of us essentially are fish in water. We don't even know we're wet by the culture. But we live in both. So if you are going to reconstruct your faith, it's so important, it is so, so important that you ask big questions, not just about God, not just about the Bible, but about the Western Australian culture that you live in. It is modern. It has an ethos. Where does that come from? I have so many friends who have said to me, you're a Christian because you grew up in a Christian home and you couldn't believe anything else. And I'm kind of like, well, you grew up in Australia and you grew up in this culture and you can't believe anything else because this is all you're told. And then I tell them, actually, I wasn't born into a Christian home. I was born into a non-Christian home. And they're like, yeah, well, it became a Christian home. And then we go, I'm just like, man, you, you have your thinking. You think that you've come up with it, but it's been given to you. All of us have been given things that have been handed down. We need to ask questions, not just about the Christian subcultural version, but the Western, Australian, modern connection that we have. Number two is seek truth. And there are two important pieces to this. I think one is reason. The Bible is not against reason. I thought the Bible was. I thought when I, when I grew up, sort of semi-in-church life, I thought faith was put the blindfolds on, just take a step. Right? Just, just go, just, just hop out of the boat like Peter did, just, just go and follow Jesus. And then as, as you sort of read the book, you start realizing, man, they're constantly talking about evidences. They're constantly talking about reasons. They're constantly dealing with worldviews and they're, they're being apologetic. They're constantly answering difficult questions with a worldview that comes into a context. The Bible is not against reason. The Bible is not against evidence. The Bible is just for faith in light of. So Don Carson says this. He says, the popular view defines faith as personal, subjective, religious commitment, which has nothing to do with the domain of truth. But in the biblical view, faith is only as valid as the object of that faith. If you believe something that isn't true, the Bible does not commend you for it, but rather says that your faith is in vain and foolish. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, over and over and over and over and over again, they say, we are witnesses too. We saw, we heard, we touched. Here's what we experienced. These are eyewitness accounts. They're not just saying, hey, just believe in Jesus because it just happened. They're saying, no, 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 no. We met him. We saw him. Thomas leaves this place in his life and he eventually goes and dies, we think, in India as a missionary for Jesus. 
Because he became convinced because he saw with his own eyes, he touched with his own hands, he encountered the risen Jesus, and then he goes and lives his life. Jesus' brother, his half-brother James, read the Gospels. He thinks, he literally thinks, Jesus is out of his mind. In one point, James says to Jesus, "Um, could you not be so weird because it's affecting my life and everybody thinks I'm a psycho weirdo like you. All of Jesus' family, his brothers, his sisters, do not start off believing. When James writes a book of the Bible called the book of James, he cannot come to to his, his, his language, he cannot even bring himself to call himself the brother of Jesus. He has to call Jesus his Lord and his master. Now again, I've mentioned my brother Barney. Okay, I'm still waiting for the day where he calls me his Lord and his master. And guess what? It's never coming. I'm more his noob. I'm more like the guy who's holding him back. I'm the guy who doesn't know anything about four-wheel drives and embarrasses him. Okay? If your brother starts to become convinced that you are the son of God, like that's significant. Kind of get my kids to think highly of me. But also patience, right? Take your time. It's part of the reason we don't do a whole lot of give your life to Jesus altar call moments as a church. It's because we'd rather you sit there, explore for a significant amount of time, not just be moved in an emotional moment and go, bang, I want to do this thing. We want you to get to the point where you're like, I want to follow Jesus, I'm convinced. Do you know why? Because people who do that don't end up leaving the faith. Because they know why they believe. I can't wait to dunk my kids and get them baptized. I can't wait. I'm holding them down for so long for all the pain they've put me through. And it'll be so easy for us as, 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 like a, as a family that's in ministry to go, yeah, let's get baptized. It's like, no, no, no. We are intentionally making our kids wait because they are at risk of becoming Christians because mum and dad are Christians. And I want my kids to become Christians because they know Jesus for themselves. And then I'm going to hold them down. Number three, study history. Our culture is so focused on moving and forging a future that they are forging one disconnected from the past. That is a dangerous game to play. As you've heard, those who forget the past are deemed to repeat, right? Did you know that in 1919, Australia experienced post-World War an influenza pandemic where churches were not allowed to gather inside, had to meet outside, had to socially distance and wear masks. A hundred years ago, exactly. The moment that we are in is nothing new. This has happened before, it's going to happen again, and the church is going to have to deal with all sorts of things again. We need to remember the past. We often... This book or just other people in history, we think that their faith was just so easy. Read their stories. Charles Spurgeon, one of my heroes, suffered with mental, physical health nearly every single day of his life. He's my hero. I don't don't think about what he's gone through and what led him to hold on to Jesus in the dark days. Live communally. Few things get better in isolation. When we doubt, 
When we get disillusioned, our natural response is withdrawal. Particularly in a subculture which says it believes things, right? Church, we need to be a safe place where people can bring their doubt and not have to withdraw into isolation. We go, hey, I'm just not so sure there's such a thing as called a virgin birth because I did a science thing and I learned a whole lot of things and that just doesn't seem to be possible. And we need to say, I know. I asked the same question. We need to have people go, I just don't know if God's good because there's evil and suffering in the world and I'm seeing all this stuff and I'm struggling with reconciling that. And we need to be a church that says, I know. We have those same things. Does that make sense? And if you're here and you're doubting or you're disillusioned, can I encourage you, don't withdraw into isolation. Come and be part of a group of people who are also exploring and trying to seek to follow Jesus. And lastly, follow Jesus. So much of the reason why people walk away from faith has nothing to do with Jesus and has everything to do with the church. This church is going to let you down because we're broken. We will not have sufficient answers for you. We won't care for you the way that you deserve to be cared for. There will be offenses that will come. There are going to be disagreements that come. When you get a whole bunch of people that are broken and you put them into a room, you don't just get a whole lot of bliss and joy. We experience brokenness, right? So what we need to do as a community is point each other to Jesus. Because he's the only one who you can trust. He's the only one who will never let you go. He's the only one who will never let you down. Nobody else has died on a cross for you and then risen again to new life for you. No one. I have so many friends who won't follow Jesus because they hate the church. And I, some of their experiences I hear, and they're, they're horrendous, they're horrible, and I say, please, please read the book and find out about Jesus because that has nothing to do with Jesus. And if Jesus was here, he would have been on your side protecting you and standing with you because that's what he did with the prostitute. That's what he did with the tax collector. That's what he does all through the story. And so I want to encourage you, no matter where you are, at, live, at least give Jesus the chance to be Jesus and then seek to follow him and him alone. My, one of my greatest examples of this, I think, I see in the Bible is from the writer of Lamentations as the band comes up. I don't know if you've read Lamentations. Uh, if you've been in like Christian bubble land, you probably haven't. Um, even the fact that the Bible gives us a book called Lamentations is interesting, is it not? It's fascinating. If you read the Psalms, you see people asking God, big, like, where, where are you? My favorite Psalm is Psalm 77. Where Asaph says, when I think of God, I moan. I don't know if you've got to that point yet. I haven't. I haven't said that to God. God, when I think of you, I'm like, ugh. That's Asaph. right? And you, you see that they go on these journeys of disillusionment and hurt and pain. And, and the writer of Lamentations is no different. They are experiencing deep, dark pain. Asking big questions of God. They essentially are like, hey, I feel like I'm target practice in the world and I'm wondering where my God is. 
But what I love and what I keep finding with all of the stories in the Bible that allow us to doubt, that allow us to be disillusioned, that acknowledge our hurt, is that they keep bringing those things to God. And so as you read Lamentations 1 to 3, you see all this pain, you see all, this, all these questions, but in 321 to 24, he says this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Right? And amongst all my doubt and amongst all my disillusionment, I know that this, I know that this is true. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Never. Some of us have been through really, really hard times and we can say that we know that now because we've come out the other end and we go, man, in it I couldn't see God. In it I had doubts. I've come out the other end and I'm like, man, the steadfast love of God never ceased. He was with me the whole way. And for those of you who that is true, we need to hear your story. We need your story because your story will encourage us. It goes on to say, His mercies never come to an end. If you're here and you feel like you're a screw-up, you just keep messing up your life, the God of this Bible gives new mercy every day. Every single day. That sin that you're trying to overcome and you feel like you're falling short and that God can't love you, God can't forgive you. His mercy's new every single day. Your marriage is struggling. Mercy's new every single day. This is the God of the Bible. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I love this last line, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And so if you are in our church or you're new to our church and you're wondering, or maybe you're wondering, give him a chance. Go to him. Learn about him. Follow him. Because his mercy is new every day. His faithfulness and love will never leave you nor forsake you. And he has proven that by dying on a cross for you and rising again to new life. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Center Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.